Is that a menorah on your Christmas tree? Will Mary Poppins Returns kill off Nanny McPhee? It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. You sure? And What's that in the cupboard? <laughs> what about global warming? It's mid-year. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in my cupboard now. As you're unwrapping your Christmas presents, we are wrapping up the mystery about whose legs were in the bill. I hate it when threads get left hanging. I didn't want oh. to better call Saul this and have this going over the next six years. I'm going to give you the answers now. You will recall, Helen, that where we were up to on this was... I was asking for verification from listeners that when Karen England appeared on GMTV on the 31st of August 2010, it was that Karen England, the one who allegedly was the legs, the female legs in the closing titles of the bill. And that was her major IMDb credit, wasn't it? It was the only other credit on IMDb. She's not someone who has made lots of media appearances in which she would be confirming her legness. Um, Nick was the first to tweet us at Helen and Ollie to say... The final episode of The Bill was on the 31st of August 2010, the same day Karen England was on GMTV. So the story checks out. Oh, well done, Nick. I was really quite relieved when I saw that because I sensed that the end was in sight. But then, Helen, we received this confirmation on our phone line. This is James from London. And I'm Anna. Anna is my cousin. And, Ollie, your uh, prayers are answered. Anna does work at ITV. Um, I asked Anna to look at the archive transcript for... GMTV Daybreak, 31st of August 2010, and... Karen England is the legs in the Bills intro. So there you have it. (laughs) Wow, I feel like Sarah Koenig, if only they had managed to confirm who killed Heyman Lee in Series 1 of Serial. But uh, I have since that call found the clip on YouTube, which I believe was actually uploaded on YouTube by another of our listeners who works at ITV but didn't want to be named. Much obliged to you, Um, anonymous. And and have watched the clip, and uh, within the seven-minute interview... They also helpfully referenced that Paul Page Hansen was the other pair of legs. Okay. So now we have them both, uh, you know, fairly categorically, I think, uh, authenticated. And therefore, we can say, Gemma from Cheshire, it wasn't your auntie, Annette. Job done. Merry Christmas, everyone. And in the clip on GMTV, is she sitting on the sofa being interviewed? Or is she walking away from the camera Whilst being interviewed. <laughs> she walks towards the camera at first and they recreate it with the music and everything, but then she comes okay. over to the sofa for a friendly chat. Okay, so you do see her below the knee? You do, absolutely, And do yes. you recognise her from the shins? I don't. I don't, but she had a different life by then. She was in the shins. <laughs> uh, by then she was a dog trainer by trade. Ah, oh, um, so her calves are covered in bite marks. I guess uh, heel was a popular command for her then. And as far as I can tell, I mean, her website isn't updated frequently. She's still a dog trainer in Middlesex. Good for her. Yes, yeah, so I think I, I know everything I wanted to know about the woman who played the legs in the closing title sequence of the bill. Man, still, have, still an enigma. Well, I still have a few more questions about Paul Page Hansen, but I'm not curious enough to extend this into 2019, so don't get in touch if you know him, don't care. Well, I feel satisfied. Job done. Yeah. A victory for answer me this. Let's just end it there. We're not going to top that. Our year's work has come to a satisfying conclusion, surely. Although that is the beginning of the show, so we can't retire right now because there's an episode to continue. And here's a question from Hayley, who says, My husband and I have owned a news agency in a small town in Western Australia for just over a year. Last year at Christmas, we received cards from a few businesses we deal with and a few of our elderly customers. We have about 30 customers that have their newspapers put aside for them at the shop, so we see them every day. 
I thought about giving cards to these customers last year, but in the end, simply ran out of time. Yeah, that's me every Christmas. I uh, haven't sent a Christmas card since the 90s. I know you don't really do presents in your family unless there's an actual need for the present to be given and you know someone wants a particular thing. But mm. do you do cards? I'm not sure if you no. that. No, I mean, cards are for impersonal contacts. I think cards are a nice thing and actually necessary for certain members of my family. Like my grandma and my mum in particular would always get a present and a card from me even though I'm giving them a present and I've seen them, just because without it, it feels incomplete. But where I draw the line on impersonality Mm -hmm. is I feel it is unacceptable in a card to someone you know simply to write love and then your name. What if you don't even write love? Looking at Martin's parents here, because they managed to find cards that are extremely personal in that it'll be... Uh, happy Christmas, daughter-in-law. But yeah. then it will just say... Dave- happy Christmas, daughter-in-law, who's just recovered from surgery and recently yeah. travelled the world. That will be printed on the front. Yeah. Inside it will okay. just say, from Dave and Val. Wow, from? Just. Harsh. I think maybe they think that the the decision-making process is how they're showing love and attention. I've gone through yes. the... They've gone to the, the, the time and effort of finding a dear daughter-in-law who's just recovered from hospital while travelling around the world. Card. Card, yeah. I know what you mean, and I think that's right, because I'm married to a woman who behaves in this way. <laughs> um, I don't know that she ever, in our Valentine's exchanges, literally just put love. She, she might have put something like... Kind regards. <laughs> best wishes. <laughs> um, she might have put something like, I love you so much, and then her name. But still... I remember the first time I got it thinking, oh, okay, because I've written an essay in yours. Like, only like 50 words, but not five. I think that's nice to write 50-word message. I just think, what's the point of a card otherwise? Because all you've done is buy a thing that says something in lieu of what you actually want to say. I agree. But maybe that's why I don't send cards, because uh, when I open a card, I'm suddenly at a loss for things to say. I like to draw something. Yeah, but you can't send cock and balls to everybody, Martin. It's not appropriate. Who says? I did did an amazing (laughs) 40th birthday card for my friend Jim. It was was like this really veiny penis, like spunking around rainbow that said happy birthday Jim uh-huh. across the skies and did you draw it on your actual penis or did you at least have the <laughs> dignity to give it to him in cardboard form a gentleman doesn't say <laughs> um, anyway yes back to the question so Ollie answered me this is it weird for a business to give Christmas cards to customers they see on a daily basis I have received Christmas cards from businesses we personally deal with before but it's usually the kind of business whose services we haven't used in a while I don't want to creep people out but I also don't want them to think we don't appreciate their business. It's fascinating, isn't it, mm. to see how other people think. I mean, like, why would you possibly think that it would creep someone out to give them a Christmas card? Someone who you know. And actually make the distinction, because I know them, it would creep them out. Like, mm. Christmas cards are only for people you don't know. Like, what the hell's going on in that person's head? That is my approach to intimacy, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's too personal with people you know. So isn't the thing here, like, uh, if you get a Christmas card from a business... The underlying uh, kind of subtext is, hey, if you need to buy some paper this year, why not come to me? So is it just that it's a little bit... Corporate. It's a little bit needy. It's like it's not a gift given just with the joy of Christmas in mind. It's also a bit like, remember to come and buy your sweeties. But I do that as a freelancer. I don't know about you, Helen. I don't bother actually doing it. But when I intended to send Christmas cards last, (laughs) my list of people was friends and family that I actually love and care about. And colleagues that I wanted to remind that I existed. I mean, I wouldn't right. bother sending it to every producer that I'd worked with at a radio station, for instance. But I would think I should probably send something to the boss because it might remind him or her that I exist. Okay. Um, yeah, it would that. still mean Happy Christmas, but it would be Happy Christmas. And by the way, have you got a show for me in 2019? Right. If I had colleagues and I worked in a place, then I would probably give out more Christmas cards and impersonal gifts. 
But I think in Haley's case, especially as she mentions that these people are elderly and she sees them every day. And come to her for the distribution of paper-based products. She is quite a big part of their lives. Yes. Some elderly people don't see a lot of people each day, depending on their living situation. And also they are from a more paper-based communication era. Yes. I don't think any of them would be offended if you gave them a nice card. You don't have to write a lengthy message in it, but just something handwritten. I think I would find that very touching, and I'm not elderly yet. I I think they're more likely to extend their custom with you, and they won't find it weird. I think daily as well. I found it weird when a local go-and-takeaway used to send me and Martin (laughs) Christmas cards, dear customer, um, when we frequented them maybe once every four months. Was it a discount card, though? No. Really? It It wasn't bring along this card and get 10% off? No, it was quite nice Christmas card and it was usually the only Christmas card I got. You're my favourite customer and every time you come in I feel like I'm back in Goa. Did it say that? Mm. <laughs> did you ever Did you ever get that thing where you would get like a calendar from a Chinese yes. takeaway? I used yeah. to really like that. Yeah, that's great. Mr. Tang's Mandarin in Stanmore used to provide the calendar for about 10 years running to my parents and we only went there basically on New Year's Eve for the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she should do this. I mean, now I'm thinking, what have I done? I gave our local bookshop owner a birthday present once. Of some homemade brownies. Hasn't he got the same birthday as me? He's got the same birthday as Martin. So it was just actually giving him my leftover brownies. (laughs) No, I gave Martin no brownies. But that's nice because I presume you knew it was his birthday because you'd had a conversation in real life in which you'd alluded to that and you were actually, you know, remembering that conversation, reminding him that you'd remembered it. I don't think it's creepy at all. I think, if anything... Like, it is creepy when businesses you don't have correspondence with get in touch because then the motivation really is just come back. I'm thinking of you, Hotel Aqua in Bodrum. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, if it's someone or a business that I actually uh, regularly uh, get involved with, actually, it clearly seems to be saying to me, you're a special involvement in our business and we want to commemorate that in card form. And I think that's quite nice. I think this is nice. Local shop for local people. It's saying we have a heart. We've had a human connection. We're not just about selling you your copy of the newspaper. I yeah. mean, let's be honest, there's the internet. We're having a connection. We have a heart and we have cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I think it's really sweet as well when elderly people still walk to the newsagent to get their paper. Not not the having a paper copy thing, which I do understand because not only is that a generational thing, I actually prefer having a paper copy to reading it online. If I was retired and had an hour to read the paper, that's what I'd do. Are you saving them all up till you do retire? It's <laughs> got this stack. <laughs> but the walk to the newsagents, that's mm. interesting, isn't it? Because they could get it delivered. I mean, you maybe. could say, well, they're saving 50p a day. You can't always get it delivered anymore. Maybe, but probably. Can't get the professional children. I mean, where I live, uh, certainly the people who don't pay the 50p for the delivery choose to go to the newsagents for social reasons because they walk through the village. I know them because I walk through the village sometimes with my son to get a chocolate croissant from our newsagent. We bump into a guy on the street quite often who's about 70-odd. I think his name's William. He used to be an architect. I've had lots of chats with him on the street Mm. and that's not about him picking up his copy of the mail. That is about him wanting a chat. Yeah. Uh, The shop I used to work in in Tunbridge Wells in the 90s, the Antiquarian Bookshop, we had um, Monday Club... Wednesday club, Friday club, uh, just a bunch of old gaffers who came in. We first knew- rule of Friday club. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Goffin gets the chair. Right. That was the first rule of Friday club. Um, Did Mr. Goffin have knee problems? Mr. Goffin was pretty fucking old. He earned the chair. But um, most of them didn't buy books. But, you know, it was nice to keep an eye on them. If they hadn't come in, we would have been worried about them. And yeah. uh, they brought us presents at Christmas. And uh, we probably gave them cards if we gave anyone a card. Seriously, what happened in Bookshop Club? Well, they would come and we would make them a cup of tea or coffee according to their preferences, which we had on a list above the kettle. Wow. <laughs> if you're a real regular, you made you made the list. Does this bookshop still exist in Tunbridge Wells? Yes, Hall's Bookshop. 
uh, down by Charles the Martyr Church. Big up the guys at Halls. I think probably most of them are dead. Right. <laughs> Another Australian resident has been in touch. It's Andrew, who says, I've been living in Melbourne, Australia, for the last three and a bit years, but I've recently decided to move home to Aberdeen, as I simply cannot handle another summer with 40-degree heat, and I miss the biting cold and eternal darkness of winter in Scotland. <laughs> People are weird. Uh, I am currently travelling around New Zealand for a month or so before heading back and have decided to keep my moving back home a secret from my parents. (gasps) People are weird. (laughs) Why would you do that? Surely you've got to lie for months. Charles 2019 looking for you, Andrew. Oh, same old, same old, (laughs) Mum. You know how it is here in Melbourne. Another scorchio summer. Helen answered me this. How should I surprise my parents when I do get back to Aberdeen? I mean, just by getting back to Aberdeen, you'll be surprising the fuck out of them. Anything extra might kill them. That's true. (laughs) Uh, I have considered ringing the doorbell and then jumping out of a large parcel uh, or else breaking into the house and decorating for Christmas. No. I think those four words are doing a lot of work in that sentence. (laughs) Um, So do you have any other suggestions? Uh, Maybe this is boring. I do think if you just ring the bell, maybe you could put a bow around yourself. Yeah. Is this on Christmas Day? Because remember, there are not many transport options on Christmas Day. Maybe you want it to be Christmas Eve. What if they've got plans on Christmas Day? What if they're like, well, actually, we're going on holiday to Mallorca. That's what I was thinking. What if they've flown to Australia to surprise you? I don't know if they have other children, but if you're the only mm. child and their parents are dead, for example, don't know, but if they are... Or they don't like any of the family. They may well have said, right, well, Andrew's not coming back. Let's invite the Swingers Club round. Like, oh, play it carefully. Sexy Christmas. Uh, or more likely, they've just gone to their elderly mothers. So you'd have mm-hmm. to know where they are and turn up at the right place and not shock anyone to death. I think Christmas Eve, don't you? Could you not do that thing where you call them and you're like, hey, how is, how is your Christmas Eve? And then, oh, and then and you'll then you be outside. The door. Like someone in the 80s who doesn't know that mobile phones are a thing. Yeah, exactly. But do you think Andrew does need to do anything else, like a costume or dressing as a giant present? I quite like the tradition of the thing inside the present. Okay. I'm not sure about that. I always think of the human in the box. I always think of the Velvet Underground song, The Gift, which if you don't know it, I won't spoiler it for you. But You can spoiler it for me. It's fine. No, I don't want to spoil it for no, the you listeners. Won't, you a... literally won't spoil it for me. What about for the, what about for the listeners? Uh, I mean, I've always had really a dubious interest in the listeners. Go ahead. It's a, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil no, it. No, I want to know. Ah, what you, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Go and listen to it. Does someone die in the box? It gives me a very... I'm going to take that as a yes. Negative association with posting yourself to somebody fine and considering the logistics of being a person inside a giant present sure and i think either you need an accomplice who can help you get into a box and deliver the box or you basically need to make an outfit out of the box that you can walk in mm. so basically like you get a packing crate and turn it upside down so your feet are coming out the bottom which would usually be the lid yeah and then like make some breathing holes and eye holes and stuff and then kind of scuttle up hide under it while they answer the door but then it's harder to burst out. Well, hold on. Andrew's coming from Melbourne. Uh, presumably he's got a fairly large suitcase with him because he's relocating. Mm-hmm. We don't know that he has anywhere to live in Aberdeen. He might have tried to save money by flying first to Heathrow and then commuting to Aberdeen. <laughs> he's going to be very tired. Has he got time to stop and get the supplies you're referring to to disguise himself as a giant present en route? Well, this is why I think just a gift ribbon would do. I think so. <laughs> and you can buy that at the paper chase in the airport, can't you? I understand Martin's misgivings now, having read the uh, end of the lyrics to The Gift. Oh, you've looked it up because Martin yeah. wouldn't go there. He's in a box. Yeah. Doesn't end... Don't, spo- don't spoiler it. Someone opens the box yeah. using a knife. Okay, fine. And thus opens the man also. Okay. That's, that was beautiful. I imagine those are the lyrics directly as sung by Lou Reed. It's John Cale, isn't it, I think? What, the guy in the box? No, no, the lyric. It's not Lou Reed delivering the lyrics. Is there a Lou Reed Christmas song? 
Because I was sure I heard something on the radio that sounded like a Louis Christmas song yesterday. It's just Christmas Day. <laughs> I'm glad I spent it taking smack. Mum. I've got the question. Then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Here's a question from Cheska, who says, I've started to see more and more slime videos popping up on my Instagram feeds. Think about who you're following, is my advice there. Yeah. If that's a surprise to you, stop following people called things like XXX Slime LOL, because <laughs> that's what they're into. Point of view clips of mostly women yeah. stretching, crunching and slapping around a rubbery mess. It is oddly bewitching. The way she says it there, mostly women. I mean, I know that was your intonation. It's just an email. But still, I, it seemed to me like she was saying there might be a misogynistic, sexualized element. I was thinking sexualized, but then that's because I've heard the Love and Radio episode about someone who does balloon porn, where people mm. pay just to watch this woman blow up balloons and then pop them. So there is a, how do you say it? AMSR? SMAR? ASMR. ASMR, yeah. the audio wank thing. There is, <laughs> there's that. Which... Why don't we get into audio wank? <laughs> I think we have. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just did. <laughs> we're in the 12th year of I think there are some people who watch those videos because they get off on the sound effects and then so maybe some of those people fancy the people hosting them but there's no reason to assume that that would be people who fancy women number one and number two um, I think it is still mostly children who watch these videos like unboxing toy videos and therefore mostly women presenting them simply because most kids TV presenters are women so I'm not sure there's a big surprise there Okay, Cheska says I first heard of it when a friend of mine was looking after a 13 year old girl who asked to my friend's confusion can we make slime? Mm-hmm. I assumed it was a tween craze, but now it seems like slime has oozed its way into the mainstream. Good choice of verb. Ollie, answer me this. What is slime? Where did the craze start? And supplementary question, mm. what crazes did you follow as tweens? Mine were beanie babies and yo-yos. Ah, uh, could you call Game Boys a craze? I mean, my interests when I was a tween were writing plays Mm-hmm. and creating souvenir theatrical programmes for non-existent <laughs> shows that I had written and starred in. Yeah, that was a, absolutely a craze amongst yeah. tweens in uh, the early 90s. What, what, um, what defines a tween? Uh, you're between... You're n- not yet a teenager. Between not yet a man. Not yet a girl. Oh, it's the other one, isn't it? I am... <laughs> how does it? Not yet a woman. I'm not a girl. I'm not a girl. Not yet a no, woman. No longer a girl, not yet a yeah. woman. I don't know. I mean, the semantics are unimportant. The point is what Britney was perceived to be. So, that. like, 12, basically. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. eleven, twelve. Like implication is you're beginning to have you know <clears throat> growing pains, mm. but yet to fully bloom. I'm over ten, <laughs> not yet a teen. Um, but anyway, slime. what is slime? Yes. Oh, unless you have a tween craze you want to talk about. No, I wasn't allowed crazes. <laughs> I think that was my Warhammer era. Yeah, that's a craze. Yeah, it's a bit silly, isn't it? And actually, you're older than us. I don't want to make a joke out of that, but I'm making a serious point here. When mm. you were a tween, that yeah. probably was more legitimately a craze because it was new-ish, wasn't it? Yeah, but so was yeah. Acid House. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Didn't get on board that, did you, 12-year-old Martin? Uh, anyway, slime. What is it? I mean, if she means, like, how do you make it? Mm. The basic recipe for slime is school glue, like that PVA stuff. Yeah, white glue. The stuff that used to stick on your fingers. Oh, I used to love doing it's that. It's a fantastic adaptable substance. You pretend, yeah. pretend you were a zombie. I just pretended like, I had an extra layer of skin and I was ripping yeah. off the layer of... Yeah, me yeah. too. Like being a zombie. But I actually did have psoriasis in my scalp, so it made me feel comfortable about myself. Oh, that's nice. Um, oh. You then mix that with borax detergent mm-hmm. and food colouring. Oh, I have mm. made slime then. I had to make fake organs for a friend's uh, zombie promenade theatre 
so I made some livers and things with exactly this recipe. Really? Yep. Where did you get the recipe from? Uh, internet. What uh, did you Google to find it? Fake livers? That no, <laughs> I think I found the recipe and then a few months later my friend said, oh, I'm doing this. And I was like, I could probably make you some organs. But now because of this craze, so this has been like an internet thing widely understood to have begun in around 2015 oh. um it's huge now there are hundreds of thousands of videos particularly on instagram about it but now because of that craze it's a bit like the unicorn thing i don't understand why it's a thing but it is a thing um there are now all kinds of pimped recipes so like people the reason people return to these video makers is they're telling them try it by putting glitter in it try it by putting chocolate buttons in it but it's but that's the Ooh. basic recipe that's bad to put edible things in it because it's fundamentally not an edible recipe right and that's what i was thinking when i learned that this is actually something that makes this topical just this week or last week craft have announced they're making edible slime jello Ooh. Well, play with it and then eat it yeah. when it's all full of fluff and crap mix messages for kids uh. bearing in mind the conversation we've had about play-doh before like it, you can eat it, but you shouldn't. I mm. uh, just why would you encourage oh, you, children? You, you mean it's it's training kids to eat non-edible slime? Just exactly. An edible slime that already exists would be like a really runny cheese. I suppose that's right, Google but you wouldn't it. play with it first. Would I you? wouldn't. No. But then I also wouldn't eat slime, so I tend to keep those substances separate. Well, talking of other Christmas presents, this is from Chris in Newcastle, Australia. Lots of Aussies this week. Yeah. Mm. Uh, who says, every year, my friend gives me a Christmas present of a movie on DVD. His selections are pretty good. At worst, it's a film I'm happy to watch at least once. That's impressive. That's the bare minimum, isn't it, that I'd want from a DVD? To watch it. Want to watch it once. <laughs> Fair. It could be a film I've seen before, but has a really good extras. Yes. Mm. Chris continues. Uh, the problem is that DVDs are so last decade. Ouch. Um, I'm a snob for quality and prefer a Blu-ray standard. All right, hard format. <laughs> Surely it would be Super HD these days, or Ultra HD, or whatever it's called, if you're going to be insistent on that. Anyway, <laughs> after all, if you're watching a Paul Thomas Anderson film at DVD quality, are you really watching it? Wow, what yeah. an existential question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Um, furthermore, I'm currently on a mission to declutter, and many of my DVDs will soon go to charity. A voucher for a digital service would be much more appropriate, so Helen, answer me this... How do I suggest to my friend that his gifts are good, but the format needs changing? Well, you could just say, oh, this is so lovely of you and such a great film, uh, but I don't have a DVD player anymore. Ooh. But then he'll say, but I get you a DVD every year. Why didn't you keep your DVD say, player? I just got rid of it. I decided to declutter, got rid of my DVDs and my DVD player. So I decided to throw away all the Christmas presents you've given me for the last 10 years. By Digitise them. I took pictures yes. of all of them to remember them by. <laughs> our friends Sam and Louise have been sending us films on iTunes for our birthdays when we've been away, and I thought that was very thoughtful. That's quite good. To get. How do they do that then? How does that arrive? So it arrives as a like Sam and Louise have bought you Paddington too. So you know okay. that they've like put in the effort to choose a film for you, yeah. but you don't have the burden of a physical object. Well, what I was going to suggest, Chris, and I don't know if your friend lives nearby, is that he could perhaps buy you a cinema ticket instead. Because they're like an advanced purchase cinema ticket. Because then you have the physical thing. If the thing is that he wants to give you something physical and pass it over to you. So then mm -hmm. you, you have a piece of paper. But also you get to go together. So you get the joint pleasurable experience. And the quality is actually higher than you'd get at home. Because you're a quality nerd. Yeah. Unless he's like, well, the projectionist is not as good as my home Blu-ray player. Okay, get an IMAX laser ticket. <laughs> but then he's got to find out when Chris is free. He can make him a voucher, I guess. Mm. Yes. But then he could make him a voucher for a month's yeah. subscription to Amazon Prime, couldn't but, he? But Chris has to say to his friend that he doesn't want the DVDs anymore, and that is a difficult conversation. We don't know what Chris gives his friend, if it's a reciprocal arrangement as well. Maybe the friend is like, oh, Chris keeps giving me ties. Yeah. I don't have a neck. 
Oh, Chris keeps giving me digital products. And I've made it clear I don't use computers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, because they read my thoughts. At my village, feet, my hotcakes sell like hotcakes. I want to expand my business beyond the school gates. So I make so much money, my wallet would fill a lake. Or a reservoir would do. With Squarespace.com, you can build an e commerce website. Track your hotcake orders and take safe payments through Stripe. Your hotcakes are so hot, they'll set the internet alarm. Selling like hotcakes, do you see? Thank you, Squarespace. Your patronage of the show is much appreciated. And if you've ever felt the need, the inclination, the desire, the urge, the urge, the itch, to design your own website, perhaps to promote a business or perhaps just for shits and giggles, uh, then you could buy, for example, shitsandgiggles.com using Squarespace. And then you can design shits and giggles using Squarespace's award-winning templates and their drag-and-drop tools. So if shits and giggles is a blog, you can do that. If it's a gallery of shits and audio clips of giggles, you can set that up. If you want to sell premium shits and giggly giggles, there's a store template. And new thing... Uh, if you want some fancy images of shits, of shits and, and giggles, giggles. <laughs> how to express giggles in an image? Uh, well, no longer do you need just to rely on stock photo websites. So, if uh, men on the beach gazing into the middle distance or women gasping at something funny just out of shot, no longer does it for you. Good news: Squarespace now have a partnership with Unsplash, so that means you have free access to hundreds of thousands of their professional images directly within the Squarespace platform. So you don't need to do a professional photo shoot for your Italian restaurant. There will be 100 pictures of Italian restaurants that will do the trick for you. I will suggest that if you are running a restaurant, don't name it Shits and Giggles. Absolutely. Strongly agree. Although if Shittily and Giglioni could be an adequate Italian restaurant. What about Japanese restaurant Shitaki and Giggles? (laughs) Have a go on Squarespace using the two-week free trial at squarespace.com slash answer. And then if you want to commit then you can get a 10% discount off your first purchase of a website or domain if you use our code ANSWER. Answer. And by the way, I've just uh, typed shitsandgiggles.com. Does anyone own it? It appears not to be owned oh. at the moment. So go for it. You can do that with Squarespace. Try shiitake and giggles. Google that to see if anyone is doing a restaurant called shiitake and giggles. You're a unique you're a unique mind. It's a Dobin Mushy and Laughing Gas restaurant. Uh, there's a shiitake mushrooms blooper from this morning that comes up. Holly Willoughby laughing. That's the closest you got. Hi, Helen, Ollie, and Martin, the sound guy. I recently moved to the Netherlands, and as happens in most Western countries, Christmas hype is all about. I have noticed quite a few strange Dutch Christmas traditions as I babysit in a Dutch household. For starters, children receive presents in the Netherlands much earlier than in the United States or South Africa, where I'm from. They also put letters in a shoe to St. Nicholas, their equivalent to Santa Claus. And I guess the most troubling of all is Svarte Pitt, who appears to be St. Nicholas's helper and is generally a man or woman in blackface. So answer me this, where did the tradition of Svarte Pitt come from and How does a country begin to engage with a history like that when blackface has become very problematic in mainstream global 
media and culture. Which bit do you want to answer first? What is Svarta Pit or <laughs> how they are dealing with blackface in the modern day? Um, uh, the former, please, let's have a history lesson. It's kind of complicated because Christmas history is really complicated, I guess because there are so many elements of different cultures that have been wedged together into one festival and there used to be lots and lots of different things. Last Christmas I gave you a complicated uh, lesson on the intersectionality of culture in Christmas traditions. Very next day... You regurgitated it to someone at a party and then they backed away slowly, uh, <laughs> pretending they needed the loo. But really, they just wanted twiglets and not to talk to you. This year, you insisted on asking us about blackface. <laughs> what do you want? Svartabit, uh, apologies if mispronouncing it. Svartabit, which means black peat, um, is attributed to an 1850 children's book by a teacher, Jan Schenkman. He's sort of St. Nicholas's sidekick. Uh-huh. But... St. Nicholas had a sidekick since ancient times yeah. uh, who would often be the cheeky one. So St. Nicholas would visit the children on the 5th or 6th of December, usually, depending on which country, mm-hmm. I guess, because he couldn't do everyone on the 5th. So some of it bled into the 6th. And then his sidekick would often be a kind of terrifying figure who would beat the naughty children or send them to Spain. <laughs> Is that Connect Ruprecht? Yeah, has lots of names, including Connect Ruprecht. Connect Ruprecht. Connect Ruprecht. That's the German version. Is it? We learned about it in German class. Yeah. Is he a black fellow as well? No, I don't think so. I think he just, you know, like, uh, like Helen says, Santa Claus gives gifts and he gives punishments. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, there, I like the yin and yang idea mm. because, I mean, Father Christmas is so genial. And then there's this whole business about, you know, naughty and nice. But it's like, well, I mean, I've never read a story where he passes over any child's house. Well, he was genial. Still less gives them a booby prize. He's genial now, but he wasn't then. He was more of a terrifying figure before and it was more of a saint and it was a moral reckoning. So He's passing, been... passing judgment, isn't yeah. it? And yet more people typically get curmudgeonly as they get older than nicer. And so there's like Krampus and Belschnickel, um, Connect Ruprecht. Who's Belschnickel? It's a, it's, a, it's a whole riff on uh, St. Nicholas's companion. They're all sidekicks. All sidekicks. It's not like St. Nicholas has one of each sidekick. It's just different cultures' names for roughly the same person. Sure. But, it's a bit like when they take a TV format and translate it, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, this needs to be presented by two women because it was originally presented by Mel and Sue or whatever. Uh, like, oh yeah, you you need the weird sidekick. If you're saying that, Dwight, the Mackenzie Crook analogue in um, The American Office, yes. is the star of a really good Office Christmas episode about Belschnickel in Series 9. Wow. Yeah, so Zvartapit is not necessarily a new idea in this children's book of 1850, but it might be the first time he's been deliberately expressed. But the difference between Zvartapit and the Santa sidekicks from before is that Zvartapit is not so much a sidekick as a servant or slave because they think that the author Jan Schenkman was uh, uh, very interested in people who own slaves and maybe that's what inspired Svartopit, who is depicted in blackface either because he was Moorish. Like Othello. Like Othello. Or because uh, he spends a lot of time going up and down chimneys, so he's got very sooty skin. Ah, bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Santa Claus spends enough time going up and down chimneys. Yeah, yeah. He's got a perfectly white beard, as I recollect. And also, why do they always put an Afro wig and bright red lips on Svartopit if uh, it's just soot? A lot of parts of um, the Netherlands have eased off on the blackface. So either they don't do it or they get people of different skin tones to play him without any blackface makeup. Or they just put a bit of soot on to make it clear that it's soot rather than blackface. Mm. Yeah. But I'm... then there's the protest where they're like, ah, I want blackface because it's tradition. And you're like, well, tradition is just an excuse for not being better. Also, if you're a person of colour, do you want to uh, make this history of blackface a little more acceptable by yes, participating exactly, in it. Exactly, yeah. I suppose the point is that the part isn't very good. 
I mean, and that's the thing with Othello, isn't it? That's a good part that Shakespeare wrote. So, like, now when you see black actors play Othello and it would be unthinkable to see a white actor doing it in blackface, it's not justifying this terribly racist play. It's a really good play in which it feels more appropriate for a black person to play the role. Whereas, I guess, with Black Peter, is he making a significant contribution to the cultural experience of Christmas? Well, also people are acting like things haven't changed. Like, this isn't that old a tradition. The story is from 1850. Father Christmas has only been in red robes since the 19th century. Has only been visiting on the 24th of December rather than the 6th since, I think, 1822 was the poem. In which is that the night before Christmas? The night before Christmas, he shifts to... Because Christmas hasn't moved. I mean, yeah, it has Christmas, a bit, but... Well, I mean, it has. I yeah. mean, that's complicated yeah. as well. But, but less in, recently. In the poem, The Night Before Christmas, that is what establishes Santa as visiting to deliver presents on Christmas Eve rather than the 6th. I mean, it's that recent. And yet it's kind of delivered to you as if that is ancient, but it changes all the time. So why not change it to be a bit better? It's interesting, isn't it, that Rosa, coming from South Africa, recognises this issue. Mm. I mean, maybe you have to come from a country where the worst consequences of this sort of thing have been realised to see the potential issues in Holland. Because my, my understanding is actually no one, literally no one, was discussing this in the mainstream in Holland until about 10 years ago. It just wasn't a concern. And in the big telly special this year, apparently, on Netherlands telly, the Black Peter characters had soot on their face. Like it was that, and there wasn't the gold earrings, and there wasn't the big lips, and there wasn't the wig. Here's a question from Rob in Kinross, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Who first had the idea of setting up fake Santas in department stores? Did Miracle on 34th Street invent it? Department store Santas began in 1890, and it was a Scotsman who came up with it, a bloke called James oh. Edgar, who, uh, it wasn't in Scotland though, he'd emigrated to Brockton, Massachusetts, and he started the tradition in his department store. But I don't think even he knew that this would be the template for all toy shops and department stores thereafter, because if you look into his biography, he used to like dressing up at virtually, you know, the drop of a penny. So he dressed up as Uncle Sam. Uh, he dressed up as a cricket player on July the 4th one year. Of course. <laughs> the first and last cricket in America. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, apparently, he used to climb up to the roof of the store and toss pennies into the crowd below. You can get done for that. Yeah, exactly. So, quirky character. But uh, anyway, that particular tradition, people really liked. They came to the store specifically to see him dressed as Santa, and then that became a thing. And then, uh, you know, all the Miracle of 34th Street-style department stores in New York, they continued the tradition. Yeah, I guess once it's been proven commercial in one place, then uh, everyone's going to want it. It's going to catch. But also, wasn't his attitude like... It's so unfair that only people at the North Pole get to see Santa. I want kids who can't travel there to be able to see Santa. Like a zoological society, bringing <laughs> it to the people. Taxidermied Santa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have talked briefly in previous years about Christmas in Wonderland starring Patrick Swayze and Carmen Electra, but I will just mention it again <laughs> because... I'd forgotten. There is no finer, and by which I mean terrible, movie about department store Santas, although technically this is the Edmonton Mall in Canada, so it's mall Santas, but anyway, there is no finer movie about that than that. And I, if you have the opportunity to watch it this year on demand, please take it. Is it a sexy film? It's the least everything film. <laughs> it's the mm. least funny, it's the least sexy, it's the least intriguing, it's the least compelling. Least Christmassy? It's mm, medium Christmassy, uh-huh. and the special effects are... As bad as if you just asked any 14-year-old in the street to draw you an elf on any computer program. <laughs> <laughs> and it's incredible. I mean, I want to watch it again this year. You have to have a few drinks first, obviously, like everyone involved did. But it's definitely <laughs> worth watching. Allow me to recommend on Netflix yeah. The Christmas Chronicles, 
starring Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell as Santa. Is it based on the Nigel Slater book? <laughs> I'm guessing not. Kurt Russell makes Although, a delicious roast vegetable <laughs> sandwich. My wife makes amazing sausage toting the whole casserole Ooh. with cranberries from that. Ooh, weird. Yeah, but um, yeah. what, what uh, happens in it? Well, a little girl uh, catches Santa on film delivering their presents. So with her cynical teenage brother... They accidentally get caught up in Santa's deliveries and hijinks ensue in Chicago. Kurt Russell playing Santa is on a par with Steve Guttenberg in the Bromley Panto in 2007. I'm with you. Yeah. It's a reference we all understand. He is living it up. He committed. I have already watched Home Alone 2 this year. The movie wasn't fresh in your memory when we last discussed it. I've never seen it. You've still never seen it. No, why would I? No, it really is good, that's why. I'll tell you why. Does it have Peter Falk in it? <laughs> no, it has half an hour of sustained extreme violence. That's what I don't like. No, yeah. but it's really Bad at watching gen- violence. And it's so extreme. Like, you forget, but and you forget how long it goes on and how relentless it is, but it's extraordinary. I hated that about the first time I movie. But this is like, I mean, staple gun to the nuts. Oh, it is geez. horrific. I've seen Irreversible. I don't want to have to watch this. <laughs> Here's what happens, right? There's a scene to give motivation to both the burglars, the inept burglars, to go to New York and steal some money, and also for Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin's character, to stick around in New York, even though he spent three days separated from his family, and really he should call them and say he's alive. Um, The motivation is, he goes to a toy shop, which is clearly FAO Schwartz, but for some reason it isn't. It's Duncan's toy chest. Of course. And he gets chatting to the slightly bizarre old bloke who's running the tills, and he's like... Take the turtle does because you're a good little boy. Is he like a kind of guardian angel type of character? Yeah, like reassuring grandpa figure, you know, to a little boy lost in New York. And he says, uh, Every year, Mr. Duncan saves the money from the till and gives it to the little kiddies in the hospital down the road. And anyway, <laughs> Kev- this is really unnerving. <laughs> and then Kevin finds out that the burglars, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, intend to steal from the tills on Christmas Eve, thereby taking all the kids' money. Uh, And and as an adult, you realise that the man who was behind the till is Mr. Duncan. The kindly old man (laughs) is the big CEO corporate figure who runs the toy shop. So it's like undercover boss. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's talking about himself in third person like a twat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, they then go there Christmas Eve to rob the tills. I'm watching it and thinking... Why doesn't he take the money, the cash, out of the tills when the shop closes on Christmas Eve and take it to the children's hospital then? Mm. Why does he leave it in the tills? The the store's presumably closed on Christmas Day until the 26th of December, giving an apt opportunity for burglars to steal it. Maybe because he leaves work, goes straight to the bars, gets absolutely bollocked <laughs> and uh, doesn't want the risk of having all that cash on him. Wakes up on, I wake up, up in Boxing the Day. morning and I can't remember who I am. Then I donate some money to the hospital. All these tattoos I didn't remember getting. <laughs> Isn't it pretty common for even a small or medium-sized business to take the money out of the cash register and put it in a safe? If, hey, exactly. if not a bank. Yes. And it just, I mean, look, I know that they... It's a completely improbable situation that has happened for a second Christmas running in the film anyway. But actually, everything else in the film makes sense within its own universe. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't. I've got no one to write to. John Hughes is dead. I suppose if he didn't, and if he was more fiscally sensible, then you wouldn't have Home Alone too. So that would be why. Helen, Oliver, though life is full of questions, there are answers you must know. One, no, it will not fall off, but moderation in all things.
things too Yes, there probably is But we won't find out in our lifetimes three Most people prefer Connery But my personal favorite is Dalton Four If you try and slip a one It would ruin your friendship This episode of Answer Me This is sponsored by Bluffers Guides from Haynes Publishing. And if you like Answer Me This, you know, as in the delivery mechanic for bundles of facts you can deploy in everyday yeah. situations. You enjoy acquiring information in a light-hearted way yes. that is also fairly speedy. Then you'll probably like Bluffers Guides. Yes. Enough knowledge to be able to bluff your way through a dinner party or barroom conversation about or the subject of your choice. Christmas dinner with your boring uncle who loves golf. Yeah. And you do not love golf, but you can. But you've read Bluffer's Guide to Golf. Because it only took you a couple of hours because it's a slim volume. Yes. And it means you can have this polite conversation in order for him to leave everything to you in his will. You could arguably say it would be a great gift for everyone in the family who isn't your boring uncle who loves golf. And for him, you could get the Bluffer's Guide to Chocolate or Dogs. Finally, he'll know what a dog is. <laughs> and not only are there so many Bluffers guides on lots of entertaining subjects available for your perusal and delight that you should check out at bluffers.com all year round, but mm-hmm. also the Haynes Explained series, which are parody books covering subjects like pensioners, teenagers, babies and more, are on a secret Santa deal on the Haynes website just now. Everything is five pounds. Fiver. So if you have to buy a secret Santa gift for someone... Then uh, many options, and also easy to wrap because it's a book. All the Bluffers Guides plus the Haynes Explained series available now for £5 each at haynes.com slash Santa. Well, let's continue bluffing our way through some of your questions. This is from Richard, who says, Helen, answer me this. Were Joseph and Mary, he doesn't give their surnames, but I think we know given the time of the year to which he refers, (laughs) married? Yes, but not at the time when she was impregnated by God. They were betrothed. But they had an open relationship. No, I mean, that would have been she very controversial. She had a free pass with the Lord. Um, they were betrothed, which was like a formal engagement, um, included a ceremony, and then the wedding would take place a year or even more later. Wow. Um, so it, from They'd the have mid- been raging hot by then, wouldn't they? I think so. Imagine but also- a year goes by and you're, I mean, she's the Virgin Mary, so let's not cast out. But, and you're waiting for a year. But often people were betrothed when they were really young. Yeah, like so it's yeah. kind of like a promise. And then it was actually quite difficult to get out of this because the betrothal was official. So you would have to pay your way out or something. So apparently, according to uh, some scriptures, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he had to be convinced not to divorce her because the betrothal required a divorce. But then he had a dream in which uh, an angel told him to go ahead and marry her. So they did get married during her pregnancy. And some scholars deduce that they did this before travelling to Bethlehem for the census, as recounted in two of the Gospels. I mean, he would have felt emasculated, wouldn't he? Yeah. He's waited a long time. It's embarrassing. And she's pregnant with, with the Lord's baby. He's saying Joseph is a cook. I'm saying it's worse <laughs> than just being normally cuckolded, because actually... You... How can you compete with yeah, God? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like it's true. like it, you know. How big is Dick? It's his, infinite. Back in those days, it would have been quite a progressive attitude to say, "Well, she's a fallen woman, but I'm going to accompany her to have a baby." That's a well, noble thing to do. Well, no, modernize. They both could have been stoned to death for premarital exchanges. Exactly. So difficult, right? Yeah, and but, especially but, if she had been showing at the time of marriage. But when it's the Lord's baby, what can you do? It's like, well, I I get the reasons, but also 
I can't compete with a sexual yeah. experience with God. Okay, it's I know they didn't a, actually do it. It's not described. Yeah. Those Gospels don't particularly go into it. Don't particularly go into it. <laughs> Two of the Gospels don't talk about um, Jesus' birth at all. I think it's just uh, Matthew and Luke. And, and so you don't hear that much about Joseph at all. But in the Apocrypha, I didn't know this. Joseph has been married before and has several children before Jesus. And then some biblical interpreters have decided that Mary remained a virgin after giving birth because basically they want her to be the only good woman in all of history Mm. to have never had sex and yet still be the mother of Jesus. Here's a festive conundrum from Andy from Oxford who says... Every year at Christmas time, my old school friends and I go back to our hometown to spend the holiday with our families. It is a small town, and there are only about 10 of us in our friendship group. Usually, this results in raucous New Year celebrations where we drink too much and reminisce about old times. Well, that sounds fine. What's the problem? However, Mm -hmm. this year, there is an ongoing argument between two members of our group, Michael and Matthew. Okay. A few months ago... Matthew slept with Michael's girlfriend. Oh, right. I was ready for a complex conundrum, but this sounds straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) I understand why this would present an issue. (laughs) Although Michael and his girlfriend are still together, Michael and Matthew have fallen out. No shit. And refuse to meet with each other. (laughs) Ollie, answer me this. What should my friends and I do about this situation? How are we going to celebrate New Year's? Should we exclude them both? No. Should we spend half the night with Matthew and the other half with Michael? No. Should we pick our favourite and yes. spend all our time with them? No. Should we initiate divorce proceedings and determine who gets custody of which friends? Should we help to resolve their dispute in the run-up to the New Year? Yes, inadvertently. Or should we trick oh. them both into going out to celebrate with us, get them drunk, and hope that they will sort it out on their own? Yes, because people are emotionally intelligent when they're drunk, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, I think you have to face the facts, Andy, that at some point it is likely that this may result in a tete-a-tete. Or fighty fight. A fighty fight. A hand-a-hand. A fist of tete. That's that's not your fault. I mean, I I don't want to say whether it's not Matthew's fault, because it might be Matthew's fault. He did sleep with Michael's girlfriend, but it takes two to fuck. So maybe Michael's girlfriend (laughs) also had a part to play in that uh, presumably consensual decision, therefore. Yes, but she and Michael have clearly reached some kind of entente because they're still together. Michael might be able to reach a similar entente with Matthew. After all, he's had to discuss it with the woman that he has a relationship with. So I suppose what I'm saying is it will be uncomfortable. Brace yourself for it, but invite them both. Don't exclude them. Don't say it's awkward. Don't make any allowances. Let them be adults. And if one of them chooses not to come because the other one's going to be there... If they don't sort it out this year, they'll probably sort it out next year. Okay, but just thinking about this from Michael's perspective. Michael has kept the relationship with his girlfriend going. Yes. Presumably, the hostility with Matthew means that Michael and his girlfriend did not have an arrangement whereby it was okay within their relationship for her to sleep with Matthew. Sounds that way. Therefore, Michael has presumably either just denied this happened or he's decided that the value of keeping with his girlfriend is greater than the hurt she caused... But evidently, the value of keeping up with Matthew is not. Mm. But if the friends invite both, they will be saying to Michael, we don't care about your hurt feelings. And therefore, he might want his friends to say, you know what? It matters to us that you were upset in this way. Okay. how about this as a compromise? Mm -hmm. You invite them both to an event that starts at, for argument's sake, 7 p.m. We're all meeting in the pub at 7 p.m. But Mm -hmm. you actually say to Michael, look, as you know, the event starts at 7 this year. We're all going to meet up. However... I'll be there from six. Let Michael come and talk about it and he can decide whether to leave when Matthew's going to arrive or not. Then it's up to him, isn't it? I think that's a bit late notice because if Michael's like, yeah, New Year's Eve with my pals. And then he's like, oh, fuck, like this is a real gut punch that's being delivered just hours before midnight. 
Yeah, but it's a small town, Andy says. I think you want to give him a little time to decide. Sure, not, sure, not but it's, it's a small town. They probably bump into each other. At, I mean, what happens at midnight in a town that's... I mean, Andy's from Oxford and says he's from a small town. Oxford's a small town. <laughs> Let's assume that it's basically three pubs on a high street. They're all going to go out and watch a firework or whatever happens, and they'll all be on the same street anyway. Okay, but I think he should be having these meetings with them prior to New Year's Eve. They've got a few days. these meetings. I mean, you don't need, like, legal clarification on it, do you? Okay, this would go against my usual advice. Love it. Which is not to send group emails without BCCing. But if you send a group email, because it's like 10 friends, which is about the upper limit for not BCCing. Sure. Would this work on Messenger as well, just the same if you want a modern version? Sure, or WhatsApp. But something where both Matthew and Michael are there. It's kind of public. You're not drawing attention to it, but they have the option to know that each other is included. Sure. Ultimately, I think I agree with you, Ollie, that the party's concern should sort it out in their own time. But I feel like you should include them in your invitations, but just uh, do so in a way that makes them understand that all of them are in on this. Well, you know what I always say, Helen, if you're going to have a shit time, have it at Christmas. (laughs) Because (laughs) there's already enough reasons to feel like you're not quite worthy of uh, the lifestyle you'd like. Yippee. Great. Uh, If you want a slightly less shit time at Christmas, perhaps you could listen to the Answer Me This Christmas album. Oh, yes. All details are at answermethispodcast.com slash Christmas. You can buy it on uh, Amazon or on iTunes if you like. Or at answermethisstore.com. You know, if you want to give us more money, it is the season of goodwill at answermethisstore.com. But we appreciate the convenience and it is also the season of convenience. (laughs) where you buy things from uh, huge corporations. And as well as our paid-for content, we have lots of three things to put in your ears over the Christmas season. There's often a spike, isn't there, in listener downloads of podcasts over the Christmas season? Oh, yeah, because people are anxious to drown out their families. That's right. People get their brand-new iPod touches. (laughs) And their Zooms. The brand-new Walkmans. (laughs) Uh, And uh, if uh, one of our listeners was to want to put an extra podcast from Martin in their ears, what would you recommend? Oh, they should listen to Song by Song. Uh, Me and uh, Sam Pay talk about every Tom Waits song in chronological order. Does he have any Christmas songs? It's Christmas time. Uh, there's a song. Plenty th- reason to be afraid of there's me. A, there's a song from uh, Blue Valentine's called Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis, which is very, very touching. Okay. You can find that at songbysongpodcast.com. Uh, and if they wanted some extra content from Helen Zaltzman, I'm sure you'd like to call it content. Content uh, yeah. is uh, certainly an emotion that I would like you to feel mm. uh, listening to uh, <laughs> The Illusionist. There's wonderful Christmas episodes of The Illusionist. Uh, this year's is um, about a guy who found uh, 400 letters to Santa were delivered to his apartment in New York and he decided he had to answer them. So wow. get the kids the things they ask for. It's very sweet. You can find The Illusionist at theillusionist.org. And Oliver, you have uh, a multitude of podcasts. I do, but the one I would like to draw your attention to this month is The Modern Man, uh, modern, M-A-N-N, .co.uk, uh, which is my magazine programme, Sex, Trends and Amazing Life Stories. Recent interviews on there, a world specialist in prosopagnosia. Look how that falls off my tongue now. Prosopagnosia? It's facial blindness. It's people oh. who go around offending people all the time without realising it. I mean, what's my excuse? But they can't recognise <laughs> other people's faces. So like the, the, the man that mistook his hat for a wife, his wife for a hat. No, but ironically, often mistaken for the man who mistook ah. that's that is a different kind of agnosia that is object agnosia ah. uh, but oliver Sachs, i learned in this episode himself suffered from prosopagnosia I so didn't know the difference i did know that right well i learned it um, <laughs> so and you can learn it too and if you don't want to learn that kind of thing there's a really fun episode i also did recently with the quiz league of london telling you how to win a game show Wow. Yeah, it's quite fun. There's a woman who won £60,000 on some shit show with Ben Shepard and then got to take a year off work. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good for her. Yeah, it's worth swatting up. Um, and we will be back halfway through December with a retro episode of Answer Me This. Yeah, it's going to be one of our best ofs from the archive. Ooh. So Ooh. well worth a listen, even if you heard it first time round, because it's got good. good bits in it. Yeah, only the good bits. We cut out the other bits. Yeah, that's right. Then we will be back with a fresh new Answer Me This on the first Thursday of January, which will also be our 12th birthday. It will, Christ. Oh, fuck. Uh, this show's a tween. <laughs> <laughs> it is. If you would like to submit a question for that show, our contact details as ever are listed upon our website, answermethispodcast.com where you can also follow links to find us on social media but i would uh, recommend not skyping or phoning us because this month after all the trouble we've had with our phone line it was appropriated by some russian scam lords who uh, used it to have uh, group conversations whilst doing twitch and whatever what could that is. be more christmasy than that <laughs> <laughs> on which note we say enjoy your holiday season and the festive of cheer or whatever you say the season of whatever I'm tired. Bye! Bye.